0: Great, well, good morning, and uh, this morning, as Quincy said, we're carrying on this uh, series, uh, looking at the table. Le- I'm going to break this, stand by. Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, looking at uh, these uh, table legs, and this morning I get the job of looking at obedience. Ooh, hey, always one of those uh, topics, isn't it? So um, this is what we're going to look at this morning. Just great to hear Sarah's testimony, uh, You know, another testimony from our regular praying for people to see breakthrough on our 365 prayer list. So uh, everybody who's been praying, well done. Keep on praying. I really believe that as we pray this year, we'll see God do more and more things and um, heal more and more people. So well done if you have been praying. Okay, we're going to look at obedience this morning, and you should have uh, received a handout Quite a large chunk of Bible text, so I actually decided to put the whole of the Bible text on there. Nothing's going to come up on the screen behind me. I don't think you've got it all in your notes. Let me pray and then we'll start. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. And we pray that with this uh, subject of obedience, you would speak into our hearts and speaking to our lives this morning that you would give us a right understanding a right thinking around this uh, subject so we ask it in your precious name amen amen okay when we look at obedience I think we have to look really at two questions that we have to answer we have to think about the why and we have to think about the what the why being really why do I need to be obedient why does this matter well why should I And the what, really, I suppose, being more around, what does this look like? What do I need to do? What do I not need to do? And in terms of being obedient to God, some people have described it like a two-headed coin. On the one hand, on the one side, there are the things that God doesn't want me to do. And if you like, on the other side, there are the things that God does want me to do that's kind of both of them. And if we're going to be obedient, then we're going to need to do both of them. So for example, not only does he not want us to steal, but he also wants us to be honest in our dealings. And in a way, it's no good just kind of doing one but not the other. It's like you can't be half obedient. Uh, To be obedient means not doing what God doesn't want and positively doing what God does want. Does everybody get that? That's kind of, I think, the deal and so this morning we're going to look at another passage from nehemiah we looked last week at nehemiah and about commitment and about how the people of god had committed to rebuild the walls which kind of symbolize their relationship with god being in ruins and how they committed themselves to rebuilding the wall because they wanted to rebuild their relationship with god Well, this week we've kind of fast-forwarded in the story and we've got to a time where the kind of work has been done and now the people of God gather together uh, and they're going to kind of give thanks and they're going to kind of rededicate themselves back to God. And the way that they do that in Nehemiah 9 is to remind themselves of their history, of how God has dealt with them through previous generations and how God's people have responded to him. And so they give a basically a history lesson. It's their history lesson. And so this is an important moment in their history. And it's brilliant for us because we kind of get a snapshot as to how God has treated people and how his people have responded. And particularly focusing on, in on our topic, we kind of get a picture of their obedience and their disobedience and God's actions and responses accordingly. It is a long passage, so we're going to break it down in two. And I'm going to read chunks and then make a few points and then read a second chunk and made a few more points. And when I read it, I'm going to try and be super expressive. I'm going to try and be uh, over the top in some parts. Uh, particularly, I'm going to stress the word you, because the writer, which originally would have been the speakers, they're, a, they're talking to God before the people, and so when they say you, they are talking about God, what God did. So that's what when they say the word you, that's generally what they, who they're referring to. And then later on, I'm going to really stress the word they, because really that's the writer. Talking about the people in God in previous generations and what they did. And uh, so I, I want you to allow yourself to go on a bit of an emotional roller coaster this morning, to kind of go with the ups and downs as I read, to let your heart rise when they say that God did something amazing. Or the people of God responded obediently in an amazing way. You can let your heart go up because these things really happened. God really did this with real people. You can let your heart go up, but then you've got to allow your heart to sink when sometimes one of these two parties, and I'll let you guess which one, does something disobedient, does something wrong. So you've got to get into this story. I want you to come with me on an emotional journey And so I'm going to try and emphasize and overemphasize and re-emphasize some parts that might help us. Are you up for that this morning? Because if this passage only touches our heads, it will be no good. It will be a history lesson. But I don't want you to have a history lesson. You've got to let it touch your heart. And then I think we might learn something from this subject of obedience. So let me read the first chunk. It's Nehemiah 9. 5 to, uh, we're going to do Nehemiah 5 to 31 overall, but we're going to start with Nehemiah 5 to 15. So this is the kind of first half. It says in verse 5, and the Levites, okay, here's a list of these names, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Banai, Hashab, Neah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so much easier, isn't it, when you think about it? <laughs> Remember, all the people are gathered. said, stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Amorites. Perizzites, Jebusites, and Gergashites. You kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials, and all the people of the land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, You brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. Did you notice all the use? You couldn't fail but notice all the use. how I read it. All these things that God is and has done for his people. He is the one and only Lord. He made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them and on them. He gave life to everything. He chose Abraham. He made a covenant with him and his descendants. He promised to give them their own land. He heard their cry when they were imprisoned by the Egyptians. He sent plagues on the Egyptians. He parted the Red Sea so his people could pass through it. On dry land. It says he led them by day, he led them by night, he spoke to them from heaven, he gave them laws and commands that were good. He gave them bread every day in the desert for 40 years. He gave them water when they were thirsty in the desert for 40 years. He gave them the land which he promised to them. It's an amazing set of use, isn't it? What God Done, and straight away, I think we start to see the answer to the question why of obedience because God is good, because God is God, and because God wants a relationship with us. He's God, He's good, and He wants a relationship with us. He's God, surely the one and only true God who created everything and gave life to everything including every man and woman that has, a, has ever lived, will ever live, including you and me sat here in this room today, he ought to be obeyed by that which he has given life to. It's not unreasonable. It's not illogical. In fact, it's absolutely logical and reasonable for that which has been made to obey the one who made it. See, the bottom line is that all of creation, including every man and woman, should be obedient to God just because he is the God who created them and gave them life. Just that one fact should bring our total obedience because it answers the first big question of life. How am I here? How comes I am here and have life? Answer Because God made you and gave you life. Therefore, every human being literally owes their life to God. Society does not like that. You may have noticed. But that is the truth as far as God is concerned. He created, he gave life, and therefore he owns everything. But if that weren't enough, the second point that we see here is that he is good. I mean, just because he's God and is able to do what he likes with his creation, but actually what he chooses to do is good. He doesn't make them do bad things. He, 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 he gets them to do good things. He gives them good things. When they're in the desert for 40 years without food, what does he give them? Food. <laughs> when they're in the desert without water, what does he give them? Water. When they're in the desert and they don't know where they're going by day or by night because they're in a desert and there's no way of guiding yourself in the desert, what does he do? He guides them. When they're being cruelly treated by the Egyptians, what does he do? He sets them free. When they're standing in front of the, the Red Sea, In front of them is a sea that's going to drown them if they step into it. And behind them is the entire Egyptian army to kill them. What does he do? He passed the Red Sea so they can go through. Unless you haven't noticed this, these things are good. They're not difficult. They're not hard. They're not cruel. They're not horrible. He's doing good things for his people. Not only is he God, but he's good as well. They should be obedient just because he's God. But actually, they should also be obedient because he's God who is good. And if that weren't enough to answer the why question of obedience, look at the third one. He wants relationship. The God and creator of the whole universe, the one who made everything, gave everything life, everything, 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 comes from him, is held together by him, was given life by him. He wants to have relationship with you and me. He wants to have relationship with men and women. From all the peoples of the earth, he chose Abraham. Abraham didn't choose God. Abraham wasn't looking for God, no more than anybody else was looking for God. He wouldn't have known where to find God, even if he wanted to look for him. But God sought him and chose him and saved him and said, I am going to save you. I'm going to make a people out of you. And through that people, I am going to save people's from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, including you and me if you're a Christian here this morning. The God of the universe made this covenant, made promises to men and women. He said, look, I will be your God. I I will love you. I I will look after you. In fact, I want to have such a relationship and a friendship with you that I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to legally adopt you. You're going to be my sons, my daughters, so you can be in my family forever. The God of the universe, the almighty one, the all-knowing one, the all-creating one, says to somebody like me, Dale Barlow, I'm going to adopt you into my family. You'll be my son. You'll be with me forever. Now, those are, to me, three wonderful, compelling, awe-inspiring reasons why we should be obedient to God. Each one of them is compelling in its own. But when you put them together, you have to say, We would have to be crazy not to be obedient to God. Is there anybody there this morning? I think we would have to be crazy. You would say, based on those facts, you'd have to be crazy not to be obedient to God. If that's what He's like and that's who He is and He wants that kind of relationship with us, we surely must say, Yes, please, fantastic. I can't believe it. I've won the lottery. This is amazing. Is it going to be true? Surely obedience uh, isn't hard work, but it becomes the right, the fitting, the wise response. But shall we read on? So you know what's coming. Shall we read on through the chapter and see what the people of God actually did? Verse 16. We'll go through to verse 31. Are you still with me? Good. But they, they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast an image for themselves of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manner from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into a land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. Wow, amazing, eh? Oh, oh, fantastic. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who'd warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, though they ruled over them. And when they cried out again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they came arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God." See, ultimately what we see down through the ages from God's people is this mixture of obedience and disobedience. Periods of disobedience when they don't obey God, they get into a terrible place. So they cry out and he rescues them, which normally leads to a short period of obedience. And then after another generation or sometimes that same generation decide that they're gonna disobey God. And so the cycle continues. We'll look at that in a minute. But let's look at what kind of things they did when they kind of went from disobedient to, obe- from obedient to disobedient. Because it didn't kind of happen overnight. We kind of start to get some clues as to the what question in terms of obedience. So it says they became arrogant. Like they don't need God. It says they disobeyed. They know what he wants, but they're not going to do it says they refused to listen. They just blocked his ears to the things that he was saying, even killing his prophets who came to warn them. says they stopped remembering and therefore presumably giving thanks for all the miracles that God had done. All those things that I listed before, they stopped remembering them. They actually appointed a leader to be the one that they were going to follow even though God had said to them, don't do that. I am your God and I will lead you. They even make a calf from gold and they say, this is our God. This is our, can you imagine, this is our God. And remember, this is not people who don't know God. This is the people of God who did this. This is the people who God did all those things for. I just don't think they could get any more disobedient. If you're a parent here, just imagine that your children, when grown up, come in one day holding a kind of plastic cap and announces with all seriousness, this is plastic cat who looked after me, raised me, fed me, paid for me to go to university, looked after me, loved me. I now follow and serve plastic cat. That's in effect what the people of God did, except they made it out of gold because maybe it made them feel better. I don't think it made God feel too much better. See, this is a list really of some things, bad things that God told them not to do or good things that God told them to do that they stopped doing. And so they went from obedient to disobedient. And look where it got them. They become slaves in Egypt. It says they're suffering and they're oppressed. It says they nearly drown and are killed by the Egyptians. They end up in the desert with no food, no water, no shelter, no clothing. They would have died had not God supplied their needs every day. As they walk away from this loving, good God, they walk straight into the arms of other nations who abuse them and cause them to suffer. Their disobedience ends up with them being in a terrible place. And yet we can contrast that with how life was for them when they were obedient. Because in the middle of that passage of obedience and disobedience, we see between verses 22 and 25 a time when they were being obedient, when they were following God. And if you look at verse 22 to 25, I'll summarize it. It says they're given lands, good lands, numerous lands to live in. It says they have an abundance of children. They have strong cities no walls of Jerusalem broken down here, fertile land. How about this? Houses packed full of good things that they didn't pack full of good things. Wells for water that they never dug. In a hot country, having a well that you never dug was a massive blessing. Vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees that they never planted, but they were able to pick from and eat. It is this picture of a wonderful life under the blessed hand of God. And so in verse 25, it sums it up like this. When they were obedient, they ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your goodness. The people of God, when they were obedient, they reveled in God's goodness. What a contrast. As bad as life is for them when they're disobedient is as good as life is for them when they are obedient. And yet what we read is this cycle of obedience and disobedience carrying on generation after generation. It's heartbreaking. But the problem is that when I read this, part of me screams out, Ah! Idiots! Why do you do that? And yet, when I look down this list, I know that I act in the same way often. That I've disobeyed God at times in both doing what he doesn't want and not doing what he does want. I've been arrogant. There are times when I don't listen to him. There are times when I stop remembering what he's done in my life. I may not have made a golden calf, but I've certainly had other idols in my life. Things that I would look to for strength, security, blessing, love, other than God, And that's what the Bible calls an idol. And so when I look at these things, I realize, no, no, I am prone to each one of these. And yet I know that I've known God's mercy and experienced God's mercy time after time, not been abandoned by God, just like they were not abandoned by God, that he has been gracious to me as he has been gracious to them. So actually, although part of me looks on and screams, the other part of me looks on and thinks, no, no, I understand that. Anybody else? So let's think about these two cycles. I've called one of them a cycle of disobedience and one of them a cycle of obedience. And I kind of just put them in your notes there. Because it seems to me that the people of God down through the ages have a cycle of disobedience. And if you can picture a circle, put obedience at the top and then blessing and then disobedience and then discipline. If you can put those four around in a circle. It seems to me that God calls them to, to be obedient. And when they are, he blesses them. But then somewhere along the line, they stop listening, they stop obeying, they start following other gods, they basically become disobedient. And eventually, God has to discipline them. And often, he does that by allowing other nations to do what comes naturally, in essence, which is to oppress weaker nations. And God's people without God are weak. And then God's people come to their senses and they cry out to God and they say, no, no, we want to turn back to you. We want to be obedient to you. And God then steps in, rescues them and blesses them and they become obedient again. You see that? But unfortunately, they never seem to learn the lesson because what happens is even though they become obedient and he blesses them, The problem is they start to become disobedient, stop listening, become arrogant, and so become disobedient again, and God then has to discipline them. It seems to me that is the cycle of disobedience that we see here down through the generations. And I think many of us, if we're honest, can probably identify with that kind of circle at different times in our life being played out. And yet I do not believe that's how God wants us to live. And in fact, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us, I believe God wants us to change that circle and that cycle of disobedience into a cycle of obedience. Because it says in 1 Peter that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We do not have to live that way around that cycle. We can actually... Go the other way. And again, if you think about it the other way, I think where it has to start with is rather than going this way, we have to go this way, which is us disciplining ourselves to do the things that God wants us to do, the things that are healthy, maintaining a good spiritual walk with him, praying, reading the word, being in fellowship. God had to discipline them to turn them back. But I think that he's given us the Holy Spirit because he wants us to discipline ourselves to maintain a healthy relationship with him. I believe, if you like, that's the first side of the coin of obedience that we were talking about, doing the good things that God wants us to do. And then I think by the power of the Spirit, he wants us to realize that we are all prone to disobedience, to not you know, to do the things that he doesn't want us to do. We're all capable of sinning, but he wants us to flee from sin. He wants us to resist, to fight, to understand that it's okay to be tempted, but it's not okay to give in, if you like, the other side of that obedience coin. to resist and and not be disobedient to God's word. Because we know that it just ends up with being in the wilderness, being in the desert spiritually. Just like the people of God were, that's where we will end up. If we disobey God and sin, we will end up in a desert. Maybe not a physical one, but in a spiritual one. We will end up in a prison, entrapped, not a physical one, but a spiritual one. And so we have to be careful to discipline ourselves and not to be disobedient. God, in his grace, has even made a way that if we try and do those, we will still fall short, we will still mess up sometimes, but God, in an amazing thing called confession and forgiveness, has even made a way that we can bridge that gap. That if we do those two and we mess up, And we recognize it and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to confess my sin. I was trying to do that, but I was tempted and I sinned. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me and help me. God has said, okay. He's even made a way that we can get this far around the circle, but there's going to be a gap. But he's even made a way that we don't have to go back to the beginning again. If we will confess and ask his forgiveness and ask for his help. And I believe that as we do that, I believe that God will bless us. I believe that God will reward us. We don't know how his reward will come. It will definitely be spiritual. Might be today, might be tomorrow, might be on earth, might be in heaven. But I do know this, God rewards and blesses those people who are being obedient to him. I think naturally, if we just leave it, we end up living a cycle of disobedience like the people in the Old Testament. But I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we will engage with God by his grace, we can actually change the circle and it become a, a cycle of obedience, not disobedience. Let me say a few points about that just as I close <clears throat> on this cycle of obedience. I've got to say it's hard work. I don't think it comes naturally. I don't think it comes easily. I think like most things in life that are worth having, it will involve effort, sacrifice, and perseverance, which is why lots of people don't even go there. It's hard work. I do believe it's hard work, but it's worth it. Because I do think, number two, that doing the stuff that God doesn't want us to do ends in a world of pain for us and for others. He really does want the best for us, and disobedience gets us into the worst place. It gets us walking through doors that we don't really want to walk through. We don't really want to end up there. But the way we don't end up there is not by being like the people of God in the Old Testament, getting there and then going, ah, that's a world of pain there. The way that we don't go there is back here before we even get to the door. We're obedient to God so we don't even go through the door in the first place. Number three, for me, focusing on what God wants me to do is better than simply not trying to do the things that I shouldn't do. Focusing on the good things the things that build my relationship with him is much better than simply trying hard not to do the things that I know he doesn't want me to do. If I do that, then it worked for a short time, but in the long term, it won't work. But what I've found is that if I will give my energies and my heart to building my walk and my relationship with God, then I am much less likely to be disobedient. I'm much less likely to sin. I'm much more likely to realize when I'm being tempted to sin And to realize it and to resist. So, my encouragement is don't try simply not to do anything wrong. Put your heart into loving God with all your heart. And in the process of that, you will find that you are better at resisting sin. The final one I want to say is that I think this kind of obedience really gets developed in the secret place, in the quiet place. When it's just you and God and nobody else is watching. I'm always aware and listening out for the voice of God when I fill in Jane's tax returns. Because the tax man won't get me, but God will see everything. You laugh, but I tell you. You fill in your tax return understanding that God is watching and very interested. Changes, possibly, that you might put down. See, I, I think it's developed because it's in the small... It's in the secret place that I often find that God whispers when I'm tempted. When I'm tempted to do something, to sin, I often find that God whispers that he doesn't want me to. Clear, it's obvious, but it's a whisper. The Bible, I think, sometimes says it's it's like the small, still voice of God. I'm tempted to do this, and God says, don't do that. The the alarm bells don't go off. It doesn't happen. Because it's a thought in my head, and God just says, no, don't do that. And I hear it, the question is, am I going to obey it or am I just going to not listen? But I find that actually often it's a whisper. I'm I'm learning to listen to that whisper because I think that whisper is really important. In fact, a whole load of good stuff that God wants me to do comes in the same whisper. Comes in the same whisper. Sometimes God whispers to me as I'm walking down the street, pick up that piece of litter. There's loads of pieces of litter around. I never dropped it. I'm just out walking. I'm mean i out praying. God will say, pick up that piece of litter. And I'll look at it and think, what, well, that one piece of litter from all this litter strewn across the pavement? But I've learned. God says, pick up the litter, pick up the litter. Put it in the bin, carry on. i tell you why. Because I've learned that it's that same voice, that same whisper. When, for example, I was in Maastricht before Christmas, I told you the story about the girl that God wanted to speak to. It was that same whisper when God said, "Ask her where she's from. Ask her where she's from." And I asked her and found out that actually she's from the place in America where the one person I know in America is. And God actually opened up an amazing moment where we all knew that God was there and speaking to her and had brought me from England to bless her. But do you know what? It was that same voice that says, "Pick up that bit of litter." That says. That says. That actually says. And I've learned that if I don't listen to the one, I won't listen. I won't listen in the other scenario. See, it was that same whisper that said three weeks ago here. Someone's got an ear that I want. And I stood here and said, I think there's someone might have a bad ear. God wants to heal them. And a week later, Pippa stood up here and said, God healed my ear last week when Dale said God wants to heal someone's ear. See, it was the same whisper. It's the same whisper. When I was out walking the other day that I heard, your neighbor. So I prayed for my neighbor, who we we're witnessing to. And when I get home 10 minutes later, he texts me to say, yeah, can we come around for dinner? It's the same whisper. See, I've discovered, I think, that God speaks almost in the same tone and level when he's trying to get me to be obedient in the secret places and getting me not to do things that I know I shouldn't. It's that same level of voice as to when God wants to speak and open up a door to adventure. But if I don't learn to listen and obey here, sometimes when I don't know why, if I don't learn to listen and obey here, guess what? When I come into this moment here and God wants me to do something to advance his kingdom, I'll probably ignore it. I think God deserves our obedience because of who he is. Because he's God and he wants a relationship with us I honestly believe that we can break the cycle of disobedience and we can replace it with a cycle of obedience but only through the power of the Holy Spirit and I do believe that it is key if we want to move forward in the kingdom of God and we want to have adventures and we want to have testimonies to tell and we want to be used by God in the exciting stuff that we have learned to listen to the whisper and the small still voice of God in the seemingly small and maybe not so exciting